Good morning. I just said to him, thank you, Officer Dacus. No, I didn't. Someone asked me, do you know this guy? I said, yeah, I've, I've had a few run-ins with him um, before. <laughs> thank you, the delayed laugh. I appreciate that. Uh, it, is, it is honestly, you know, guest, guest preachers say this wherever they go, I'm sure, but it's truly a joy to be with you this morning. It's really a joyful experience for me to be with you this morning. And as I thought about preaching this morning, um, you know, the place I want to be more than any other place is my local church, Grace Church, just like I hope and trust that the place you want to be more than any other place is right here at Cornerstone. But if I'm not going to be at Grace Church, I want to be at a church that preaches the gospel. I want to be at a church that lifts Jesus Christ high. And so I am grateful to be here this morning because I count you, Cornerstone Church, as a partner church. You guys just studied Philippians. I thank my God and all my remembrance of you for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. There's this experience of, of commonality in Christ, and we have a commonality with you, even though we've not maybe met before. Our church is down the street. We're partner churches in the gospel. We, we pray for churches in the city each week, and we pray for Cornerstone Church on a regular basis. We prayed for you last Sunday. And so I just wanted to tell you I'm grateful to be here and to speak to people who believe in the same awesome news of Jesus that we believe at Grace Church. So when I was invited, it was an easy, uh, an easy acceptance. Uh, I'm also grateful to be here because obviously my family, a part of my family goes here, Jeff and Brandy and Ethan and Luke. And if there's a way I can be a part of supporting the work that they're doing, I want to be a part of that. So that's, that's an awesome thing. And Jeff, thank you for introducing me this morning. Um, third reason I wanted to come and just kind of meet you face to face is just to say, just to say thank you to you as a church for giving your pastor Doug time off. Um, last summer, I was able to take the first extended break I've taken in ministry in 15 years. We took a summer off ourselves, and I was sharing that with Doug, uh, and that may be part of even some of the motivation for him coming to that point this summer. Um, but it was life-changing for me, and I think you're going to experience when, when Doug and Carrie come back and the family comes back, it's life-changing because the pastor's job, like some of your jobs might be also, is, is, is a 24-7 kind of job. The burdens you carry as a pastor for your church, you don't even really realize until you, you're able to step back and step away and, and the burdens for the counseling conversations and the leadership and the vision and the preparation and having the right answer, et cetera, et cetera. You just get to be a Christian for a while. And so grateful that you were able to invest into Doug, that he could just be a Christian for a while with his family. And it's really an investment in yourselves. I know that sounds kind of selfish, but it's really true. You're investing through him and indirectly you're investing into your church. You will be a stronger church for it because the best gift you can give yourself is to have a pastoral staff, a pastoral team, and a lead pastor who is in the presence of Jesus and not just grinding out ministry. So I just want to say thank you for that. And, um, and it's good to be with you. How many of you were, how many of you just, I know it's maybe like two maybe, but um, Doug and I led a class together early morning, Tuesday morning, about three years ago or so. How many of you were in that class? So, okay, so I, I kind of know, I kind of know some of you. Some of you know me. So good to see you all again. All right, I chose Psalm 136 to preach this morning because this is the first sermon I preach to my church after returning home from my sabbatical. And I thought it would be appropriate as you're ending the time of um, sabbatical from your pastor and as he's coming back 
And you're going to start a psalm series. I thought this would work out pretty well. Um, this psalm, Psalm 136, speaks so clearly about the faithful love of God. The faithful love of God. We're going to read the whole psalm in just a moment, but I want you to hear again the opening words to Psalm 136. It says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Embedded into this first verse of this psalm is really the main point of the entire sermon, and it's on the front of your bulletin. When you are deeply loved, it produces deep gratitude. When you are deeply loved, when you have experienced deep love, gratitude should be the evidence of that. And let me take it one step further. If you're a Christian, you have been deeply loved, and that should create inside of you a deep thankfulness to God. So we probably already know that, right? You just sang songs about it, heard scriptures about it. You know that God is love, and you know that you then ought to love as God loves. And yet, an honest reflection of your life might reveal a problem. You may have forgotten the amazement of the love of God. Not that you forget in your heads or that you, know, you forget in your official doctrinal statements, not in that sort of way, but in an experiential kind of way that fills your heart with joy and motivates you and spurs you on to love and good deeds and to be a, a light that shines in the community. Maybe you have forgotten this cherished treasure and for you it's just gone boring. Maybe you've just taken it for granted. It's so common, it stops becoming meaningful. Or, or maybe your experience of God's love is, is something in the past. It's a distant kind of love. It's fuzzy. You can remember it if you think about it. You're like, I remember when God healed me from that sickness that I was, I was really worried about. And I remember when God got me out of that terrible situation. I had no idea how I was going to get out of that. And I remember when God gave me the right word to say to that friend. It helped in that time when he was grieving. You might remember back to when you got into that car accident and you, you should have died. And you remember God protected you. You can remember when money was like, like non-existent and you have bills coming in and you're like, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this next week. And then a friend brings some money along and God ministers to you through the body of Christ. God keeps doing this on repeat. And that yet even still we can wake up and think, is God with me today? Is God loving me? Am I loved? See, I think we have, we have a crack. There is a crack in the dispenser for where our faithfulness memory exists. And it just kind of leaks out and just kind of drips out and it flows out and it's gone. Think about this. How long have you been in church? Seven years? About seven years? Okay, I actually met with Doug before you guys planted this church. We had a, we had a lunch and, and we were able to talk about Cornerstone being planted and it was, it's really cool. You've been, you've been a church for seven years, right? You can probably remember the highlight moments in your church, the things that were like, kind of like A-ticket item things of where God has moved. But most of the grace of the last seven years you have probably completely forgotten about. 
That community group on Tuesday night six years ago, you have no clue who was even in your group. The majority of the grace of the last seven years has simply been forgotten. Or maybe it's not that you've forgotten God's loving kindness. Maybe you don't think that he's all that he says that he is. He's not as, as cracked up as, as he is. You, you're, you're tired of being marketed to all the time. You know how everything is just hyped and oversold, and you're being sloganized everywhere you go. So you come to today, it's like, okay, the steadfast love of God. I've heard it already. Last summer, I was on vacation, and I got this email that just stopped me in my tracks. It said, the subject line said, someone has given you the greatest gift of all. And I was like, what could this be? And I opened the email from Verizon. And I was given one gigabyte of data. Really? My daughter, Lexi, is seven. She's allergic to peanut butter, so we use Barney butter. Anybody else use Barney butter? Uh, so I was spreading a sandwich of Barney butter. And the label on it says, all you need is Barney butter and a spoon. I'm pretty sure that's not true. So some of you are bored. Some of you forget. Some of you are, rightfully so, maybe suspicious or even jaded or even critical. And some of you might find it hard to believe this morning that God could love someone even like you. And your experience of this love of God is a little bit like the person who's standing outside of the stadium as all the other people have tickets to go in and experience the joy. And you're kind of on the outside looking in. You're living with guilt and shame, maybe even of a secret sin that no one else knows about, and it's tearing you up inside. And my hope for all of us is that God will rejuvenate us this morning with the reminder and the experience of this genuine, time-tested, faithful, reliable, trustworthy love of God that flows to us from this psalm. How do you become a grateful people? You know that you're truly loved to the uttermost. And the question for you this morning is, do you know that you are loved? Now this psalm was used by the people of Israel in their worship to remind themselves. They, they, they were reminding themselves through the recounting of the psalm. This is who God is. This is how God has loved. This is what God has promised to do for bored, forgetful, suspicious, and unlovable people like us. And so we're coming now to read his word. And I, I, of all the sermons I've preached, I think this is the only time that I've ever done this with the sermons. I'm just going to ask you to kind of join with me in, in, in this. And if it's awkward for you, then um, I'm not going to be here next week. So it's going to be fine. <laughs> so this psalm is it, it's antiphonal. It's a big word that just means that this, this is call and response. So you'll notice that in Psalm 136, every other line says this refrain, For his steadfast love endures forever. So the way this would work in a worship service for Israel is that the, the leader would say the first line and then the congregation would say the second line. And so that's going to be our, we're going to do this together today, okay? You have one line to say. Hopefully you don't mess it up. By the end, I promise you, you will get it. Uh, I'm using the ESV, so it's for his steadfast love endures forever, all right? So we're going to read this together. I'll do the first line. You say that line. And, and if it gets repetitive to you and kind of like, wow, there's a lot of this, that's on, that's on purpose. <laughs> that's the point, okay? So here we go. Ready? 
Give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. To Him who alone does great wonders. To Him who by understanding made the heavens. To Him who spread out the earth above the waters. To Him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day. The moon and stars to rule over the night. To him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt and brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. To him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings. Sihon, king of the Amorites. And Og, king of Bashan. And gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel, his servants. It is he who remembered us in our low estate and rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the God of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Father, bless the preaching of your word this morning, and may we all be filled with the joy of Christ that it might spread through this city for your glory. In Christ's name, amen. We're going to consider two points together this morning from this psalm. First, the psalmist's thankfulness, how the psalmist experiences God and his love and how it produces in him a deep thankfulness. And then second, we're going to consider the Christian's thankfulness and how all of this psalm points us forward to Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. So first, the psalmist's thankfulness. You may have noticed that this psalm begins and ends with a charge. Give thanks. It is not a subtle suggestion. It is not a nice idea. It's an imperative. We must give thanks. Thanks to the Lord. And you should ask yourself the question, why? And the psalmist will answer, because he is good. We are to give thanks because he is good. Something so basic. Something so assumed about God. Something so radically profound our God, the God revealed to us in the Bible, is good. Now, imagine if it were any other way. 
Imagine if there was some smidgen of evil within God so that like one time out of a thousand times when you go to pray, he just kind of like smacks you across the face. Imagine if our God was, was even morally neutral or moody or wishy-washy. How would that affect your confidence in his trustworthiness? He's none of those things. Our God is good, holy good, completely good. Everything about him is good. That's who he is. He is a good God. In fact, there is no one who is, quote, more good than our God. And I think that's what verses 1 through 3 are trying to get at in this repetition. Give thanks to the Lord. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. These are not three different groups of people. We don't have multiple deities. This is one God. It's trying to say that in all things, God is higher. There is no one who possesses more goodness than God revealed in the Bible, the one that we worship. And so we are to give thanks to this God for this goodness as it's expressed in the refrain, for his steadfast love endures forever. So what I want you to see is that his enduring, forever, steadfast love equals his goodness. When you say God is good, amen, you're saying his enduring, forever, steadfast love. That's what you're saying. And his goodness equals this love. It's a God-like love. This is, this is a love that we, should kind, that we should shoot for in our relationships. It's a, it's a loyal kind of love. The word is used by God through the writing of Exodus 34 to describe himself, the Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. So you see, this is like central to who God is. It can be translated his loving kindness. It's a loyal love. It's a wildly free and purposeful, intentional love that cannot be broken. It's not like a vending machine toy that you know is going to break within the first five minutes of buying it. This kind of love endures forever. It's the kind of love that God has because it's the kind of God God is. And that's the kind of love God has for his people. That's the kind of love that God has for you if you are in Christ. It is real. It is tangible. And he makes his love known to us in very tangible ways. I heard a sermon recently by Sinclair Ferguson where he commented on the nature of love and on friendship. And he said this. He remarked that as human beings, we show our affection to one another through gestures and through tokens. So I've already experienced that this morning. I showed up and I got some handshakes and I got some hugs. Somebody slipped me a 20. No, they didn't do that. But that's, you know, on the table for you if you so desire. Um, on the younger side, you might give a friendship bracelet or like have a friendship, friendship necklace. If you're older, if you're married, you give a wedding ring. These are tokens. These are gestures, right? When you come home from a business trip, you give a kiss. When you see a long-lost friend that you haven't seen in years, you give a big hug. 
John Morris just found me in the back and just kind of gave me a hug. I hope that was like a sign of friendship. I thought it was. Imagine how offensive would it be if after a long business trip, you show up at the door. You've been gone for a week. And you show up at the door and your wife opens the door. And as a gesture of affection, she sticks out her hands. Welcome home. Right? Or your wife is on a women's retreat. She's been gone for a few days and you have all the kids and you are just counting down the minutes for her to come home. And she walks in the door and she's so excited to see you and she walks in and you just sort of go, the head nod, right? Sup? I don't think any of you would post on, on Instagram that week, you know, I feel grateful to my husband because he head nodded in my general direction. I don't think that's happening. You get the point, right? As, as human beings, we experience the love of friends, the love of a spouse, and even the love of God through tangible ways. We were created to know God in all of our senses, that we would experience his love. And so what evidence does the psalmist point us to to say that we can know that we are embraced as God's children? And there's three ways. And the first one is very unexpected. The first one is unexpected. God shows his love for us in creation, verses 4 through 9. We might think that his love begins with us, but it actually begins before us. I'm going to read again just the, every other line again from verses 4 through 9. To him alone who alone does great wonders, to him by understanding made the heavens... To him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights. The sun to rule over the day and the moon and stars to rule over the night. For his steadfast love endures forever. So he shows us his love in creation. And I thought about this because I've got four children. They're not, they're not babies anymore. But, but when, when you're a new parent, you don't wait until your child is born to start loving them. Right? You don't wait until your child is actually born before you realize, I need a car seat to get home from the hospital, right? You don't do that. You don't build the crib after the baby's born. You build the crib and you paint the room and all the, all the moms are nesting and they're getting their colors and all that kind of stuff and the mobile that hangs over the, the crib, right? You're loving that child even before they're born. So you prepare you prepare the world for their entrance. And so God's enduring love for us was expressed in the glory of creation. Think about it. Everything he's made is he's getting it ready for us. He's getting it ready for us to know his steadfast, enduring love. Which I think is why it's understandable how when you go off into the forest or you go to the beach and you, you come away, like you have the sense of, I was near to God. Now, theologically, you're not any nearer to God at the beach or in the forest if you're not a Christian. We only come near to God through Christ Jesus, the mediator between God and man, not through the creation. But, but we understand that we're supposed to see his creation and experience it, and there's something to an awe of it as we smell the forest pines. It's a telling a picture of the glory of God. It's, it's describing for us something of God's love for us. Man, think about it. Life could be boring. Things don't have to taste good. Things don't have to look colorful. God did all of this so that we would know something 
of his love. So last summer, you're going to hear stories from Doug, uh, I already know, that's going to point you to this. He's going to share with you, I'm sure, the ways in which he saw and experienced God's love for him. Last summer, um, we went up to Oregon and the coast of Oregon. Anyone been to the coast of Oregon here? Oh, man, it's so beautiful. Uh, we went to a place called, we went on a hike to a place called God's Thumb, um, just this little mountain that was sticking up, and at the very, very top was a cliff that if you fall off, you die, and I thought it'd be a great idea to take all my kids and my dog, minus my son, up to the top of that, and then when we got up there, we had a legitimate conversation about search and rescue. I'm telling you, it was one of the scariest moments of my life. So I didn't get to appreciate the awe of that moment, but my kids were telling me later on that you, you could see over the entire coast, the entire city. We took in Drift Creek Falls, which is this massive waterfall. You have to walk over a suspension bridge. It's like 240 feet in the air. And I mean, it's just amazing. And every place we went, we, we said this to each other. God loves us. God's created this for us to enjoy. Not in a self-centered sort of way, but, but in a way that God wanted us to enjoy it. Last year, when the solar eclipse came by and you slipped on those sun goggles and you peered into the depth of that solar eclipse for just two minutes, you were like, you're like a baby on, the, on your back in the crib looking up at the cosmic mobile of God, just whispering to you, I love you. I love you. In every rock and every crevice and every wave and every shooting star, God is whispering, my steadfast love endures forever. According to these verses, God is the wonder maker, the heaven shaper, the star hanger, the spread the earth out like a pizza dough baker, the light show arranger, and the day and night game changer. And then he goes even further still for those who are in Christ. Now the story from the psalm moves from creation to a story of deliverance. And here's the key thing to understand. God loves everyone in a very general sort of way. But he loves certain people in a unique way, in a saving way. And in the Old Testament, this is the people of Israel. He sets his love on one group of people Israel. And now the psalmist, as moves from creation, begins to tell the story of Israel. You might notice if you do like a devotional, uh, read through the Bible in a year or eight years or whatever your plan is. Um, I might be on the eight-year plan at times, it seems like. But you might notice that the story of Israel is told repeatedly through the Old Testament. They're, they're, they're reminding themselves of God's faithful love. And so here's the quick summary of these verses here in the Psalm 136, from verses 10, as he begins with Egypt, and to verse 25. Israel, his people, fall on hard times. They become slaves to the Egyptians. You might know the story. They're forced into hard labor. They pray. They cry out to God. God hears their cries. He remembers his covenant with their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And God acts to deliver. And he begins to put this plan into motion. And he delivers them from slavery in Egypt. So now the people of God are marching their way out of Egypt. This is like, you know, 4th of July is Wednesday. This is like Declaration of Independence time for the people of God. So he strikes them down, verse 10, the firstborn of Egypt. This is the tenth and final plague against Pharaoh. He brings Israel out from among them with a strong hand and outstretched arm, verses 11 and 12. 
Verses 13 and 14, he divides the Red Sea in two and makes Israel pass through it. So remember, they've gotten to this point, right? God is a faithful, steadfast love. Uh, he's got a steadfast love for them. He's leading them out to this point, and they get to the waters, and there's nowhere to go. And what do they do? They grumble, and they're afraid, right? Forgetfulness. They're leaking. Didn't God just... Didn't God just smite the firstborn of all these kids? And didn't he come out and bring them out? Yes, he did. But forgetfulness happens. And just when they think they're lost, Moses says in Exodus 14, Fear not, stand firm, and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will work for you today. And God does a child's task for him, but what's seemingly impossible, and he parts the Red Sea. And so the people of God can get to the other side safely. But Pharaoh's army comes through, and they're not so favored. Verse 14, but he overthrew Pharaoh and his hosts in the Red Sea. So God's power is made known in salvation and in judgments. Then his people celebrate their victory. It doesn't last long. God causes them to wander for, in the wilderness for 40 years because they don't go into the land that was prepared for them. Finally, God goes with them to possess the land, he brings justice to the wicked kings who are there. We see that in verses 18 and 19. There's Sihon and Og. Og is this giant of a guy, a little bit like me. A little bit like me. He's this massive guy. Um, just kidding. And he goes into there and he, he kills these kings. And by God's strength, Israel defeats them and takes the land. Okay? I just gave you like a really, really, really fast version of that. So if you want to read the longer version, you can go to Numbers 21. Okay? Verse 21 and 22, he gives their land to them as a heritage. It says, a heritage to Israel, his servants. Whew. All right, we went fast. Why is the psalmist doing this? Why is he talking about this? What's the point? This is not supposed to be just some nice history lesson, you know, where you start hearing me talk about the history and you decide to fall asleep. That's not the point. He is rehearsing the history of his people to help them remember, oh yeah, that's right, God has been faithful in the past. Oh yeah, that's right, I had forgotten about that. Oh yeah, God was always with us in the storm. He's reminding them to, to help them remember God and his faithfulness, which is why we must rehearse our past. Jeff, thank you for even saying, as you introduced me, he got saved in 1996. Okay, that's a part of my past. I have amazing parents who are both here this morning. And as I grew up trying to figure out my life, they were trying to teach me what the right ways to go and whatnot. I get to college. I open a Bible. I start to question, what is this about? And I start to read. And over the course of a year and a half, I come to believe that there is no hope for me for the salvation of my sins, which were great, apart from the blood of Jesus Christ. That's my story. I was a freshman in college. And a sophomore in college trying to figure this out. And you've got a story. Israel has a story, and I have a story, and you have a story. And you need to tell your story. And when you tell your story, remember who the hero of the story is. It's not you or me. God is the hero of your story. God is the hero of your past. God is the hero of your present. God will always be the hero of your future. And listen, just in case you think this is like rah-rah and rainbows and unicorns and all that kind of stuff, it, when you look at this psalm, you know, it's not just 
It's not just that he kills mighty kings. He does that. But also, look in the, look in the scriptures. Look at what else he does. Verse 16, look at, look at that verse. He led his people through the wilderness. Do you see that? That's like the dark time in your life. That's like the really difficult time in your life when everything was seeming to crumble. It's the time in your life where you honestly think, has God forsaken me? Has God abandoned me? Is he real? Is he even there? And this psalm tells us he led them in the wilderness for 40 years for the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. Those two things are connected. Do you see that? And so in the ups and the downs of your life, in the prosperity that God brings your way, and in the wandering wilderness of your life, God is at the center. God is the hero. Verse 23, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. Not the wisdom of man. It was God, verse 24, who rescued us from our foes, not the strength of man. And so tell your story like God is in it, because from the very beginning until the very end, God has always been faithful to work, to deliver, and to save. God shows his love in creation. God shows his love in deliverance. And third and last, we see that he shows his love in provision. It's, it's, it's just one verse. It's in verse 25. It says, and he is the God who gives food to all flesh. He provides for every last need down to the very food that we eat, even if it has to come from heaven above in the form of manna. So when you think about it, the psalmist has a lot of good reasons to be thankful to God. As an Israelite, he could truly say, the steadfast love of God endures forever. And my question for you, sitting here in this room, in this place, is can you say that? Can you personally say, I give thanks to the Lord for he is good in whatever you're walking through in your life? Can you say that in the ups and in the downs? See, one thing that we have in common, you and I, is that none of us were there when God hung the stars in the heavens. And none of us were there when the sea parted. And none of us were there when the justice of the Lord visited these kings. So on the basis of the scriptures, can we say, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. If your church is anything like my church, and I think it is, there's a lot of pain in cleaned up suburban lives. Right? So we, we put on, you know, whatever. I wore a coat because that's what I do. But there's a lot of pain underneath the Sunday dress. This psalm might come to you this morning instead of being a comfort. It might be like that loud friend at a party that you want to kind of just go away. Like just go away because that's not your experience. Your experience isn't that you can say God is good. Maybe you're here this morning and your heart is breaking or maybe you're here this morning and you're under the weight of your sin and maybe you're confused. And this psalm is whispering really, really, really good news to you this morning. This psalm invites all of us to draw near to God 
the God of the universe, the God of creation, the God of deliverance, the God of provision, and we get to experience, listen, a depth of his love that is unrivaled and unparalleled to what the psalmist experienced. Because we know what the psalmist knew as a shadow, we know in substance the love of God for us in the Lord Jesus Christ. Creation, well, you can go all across the world and you can see the most spectacular beaches and the most fantastic sights, but there is nothing more stunning than to see God take someone like us, a sinner, and remake them from the inside out. You are new in Christ. The old is gone. The new has come. You are 2.0. You're the newer model. That's awesome. Deliverance. Well, he hasn't just delivered us from our national enemies. He has delivered us from the suicidal desires of our hearts. He has, he has delivered us from the love affair we have with sin. It breaks the power in Christ. He is like the North Star. He leads us out from our place of slavery. He leads us out of the wandering wilderness, up the hill of Golgotha where God himself stands in the form of man, Jesus the Son. Hallelujah. Naked, scourged, mocked, ready for crucifixion. And in the loudest way possible for God to speak to us, he says to us on this cross, my steadfast love will endure forever. And he crushes Jesus, his Son, his righteous son, with his righteous wrath for you and for your sins and for your rebellion and for your unholiness and for your pride and for your selfishness and for your lust and for all of mine too. He makes atonement for our sins on the cross. God judges you by judging Jesus. And he's paying a ransom, friends, that you cannot pay. And he's doing that to set you free and to bring you near. That's why Colossians 2.14 says, He canceled the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, this he set aside, nailing it to the cross. So as the executioners are, are pounding the nails into the cross, boom, your debt is paid. Boom, Jesus' righteousness given to you. It is the wedding ring of all wedding rings, the cross of Christ. The establishment of a new union that can never be broken God and his people forever. As Christians, we are on exodus out of sin toward the land of heavenly heritage, the place of rest. And our God is leading us by a mighty hand and with an outstretched arm. And he's conquering our foes of sickness and sin and Satan so that not any of them, not even death, can separate us from the love of Christ. He is dispersing them and bringing us to a place of heavenly rest forever. And if you have not trusted in this Christ for your life, 
then you are metaphorically speaking at that Red Sea moment. And you can't go forward and you can't go back. And you might find yourself lost, trapped, confused, unsure of how to get to safety, enemies swarming down around you. And I want you to know even now, God's mighty hand is parting the waters of your heart that you would walk over to the other side from death into life in Jesus. I want to plead with you that you can trust his faithfulness. Thank you again, Jeff, for setting me up so well. The only reason why I haven't stepped out of this thing called Christianity is because God has kept me this whole time. And I can testify to you that 22 years later, 24 years later, whatever it's been, God is faithful through the ups and downs. You can take that next step over the muddy walkway toward God. And if you do, <laughs> nothing will stop us from receiving the inheritance that is ours purchased for us by Christ with his own blood. Can Pharaoh stop it, the most powerful man in the known world? Nope. Can Sihon and Og the giant? Not a match for God. Can even Satan, the one who holds sway over much of the earth? He is no match for God's deliverance. Colossians continues he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him. And so God is an awesome creator, an awesome deliverer, and he's an amazing provider. Just as he provides food to all flesh, so too God provides everything we need in this life as we journey towards our heavenly heritage. So the Bible you have in your hand, he's given to you to live by. He's given us his spirit to empower us, to live for him, to comfort us and assure us. He's given us the church. And in this locale, he's given you each other here at Cornerstone, where you get to show each other what it looks like to be loved by God. And he's given us all his promise that his steadfast love will never be revoked. It will endure forever. Closing words here, brothers and sisters. Our Christianity must be more than just slogan. It must be more than just knowing facts about God. It must be more than just right doctrine. It's not less than that. But it must be at its center the most vital, loving relationship that you can have on this earth. Without that... Without the steadfast love of God at the center of our experience of God, Christianity becomes a religion in the worst possible way. It communicates something that it cannot deliver. It becomes draining. It becomes suffocating. It becomes graceless. But with it, with the love of God, with God's steadfast love, it becomes life water to the thirsty, food for the hungry, balm to the hurting world, light into the darkness, a fountain of joy that bubbles up and spreads through our neighborhoods and nation in all of the ups and downs. And so for all of these things, brothers and sisters this morning, we can give thanks to the God of gods and the Lord of lords and the God of heaven, which is the way that Psalm 136 closes. Four very brief
applications, they're in your bulletin already. First, receive God's love for you. Receive God's love for you this morning. Are you unlovable? Have you forgotten how loved you are? Are you hard in your heart? Are you cynical? God wants to blow his spirit on you this morning and restore to you the joy of your salvation. So receive his love for you. And second, this is, might be part of how you do this, repent from any sin that's holding you back. Sin wants to keep you in the corner, hidden in the darkness. God wants you to expose that to the light. If you walk in the light as he is in the light, you will have fellowship with God. Third, remind each other to remember God's faithfulness, which is why you're a community together. That's your privilege as Cornerstone Church. Be grateful for the church you have. Be grateful for the godly leaders. Be grateful for Doug and for Carrie. Cultivate that this week in your church. Fourth and last, reach out to those who don't yet know this love. You are around people all day long, all week long who don't know a smidgen of what you know and don't have what you have? Where can you help friends who don't know Christ turn from grumbling to gratitude? And how can you point them to the deeper joys of Jesus? Isn't this awesome that we get to do this? What a privilege that God sets his love upon sinners like us. Wow. Father, we thank you so much this morning. That no matter what happens in this life, we have experienced in Christ the fullness of joy that should sustain us all the way to the end. We pray, God, that you would convict us if our hearts are grumbling this morning. If we're more aware of the things in our life that don't seem to be going right than we are, the gifts you've given us, would you cause us to repent and to cast ourselves on you again and be reminded of our past and your presence here in the present and your promises for the future. God, you are awesome. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.